Hey, welcome here. We're just going to jump right into our study on the book of Ezekiel. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. And if you're unfamiliar as to where that is, because I know sometimes it's hard to find things in the Bible. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People work really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. So Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And here's what it says. And he said to me, so this is God talking to Ezekiel, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then go speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me a scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together, and I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word, as we're looking into the calling that you placed on Ezekiel's life, Lord, that we would see um, just exactly how dramatic it actually was and, and how overwhelming it likely could have been in the time that he was living. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we look at that, that we would relate to it in some way so that we understand that, that you equally also put a calling in our lives in terms of what it means to be a people who deliver your word to the people around us. In your name I pray. Amen. So, if you haven't read from Ezekiel recently, uh, these verses probably strike you as a pretty strange thing, right? Like, Ezekiel is being told to eat this scroll, and that's not usually something that we do, right? Here's the story of a man whom God told to eat a scroll. So, it's got this, like, papyrus, there's some ink on it, and he says after eating it that it's as sweet as honey. That's not typically what we anticipate when we talk about eating a scroll. And so even if you're getting incredibly hungry right now, maybe you haven't had breakfast or supper or lunch, whatever it is time that you are watching this and taking this in, you might be incredibly hungry right now. But I also suspect that if I offered you some papyrus with ink, it's unlikely that you're going to want to fill your stomach on it. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to get indigestion if you do. And so it's likely that you might even actually gag. Ezekiel is being chosen to take God's word, his message, to his people. And Ezekiel's appointment is at the heart of the verses that we're looking at today. So if you're Reading along here, you know, we were recommending that you would read chapter 1 through chapter 3 and so that you have a context of what we're talking about here today. But at the heart of what we're talking about are, is this section of the Scripture here. The idea that Ezekiel is being called, but he's being called into something specific. And with that specificity, that's probably not even actually a word, but with that being very specific... He's being asked to eat of this scroll. And, uh, and so it is because he accepted the commission from God that we even have this book in our Bibles today. So there's something pretty dramatic taking place here. So Ezekiel knew without a shadow of a doubt that God called him to the task. We see that uh, confirmed really in Ezekiel chapter 1 because there's this dramatic thing that takes place, right? Like he sees the glory of God and, and there is just this weird image of, of, of God with like a wheel within a wheel and His glory and all these different animals. And, and, and so there's just this 
strange image that we were told about. Now, I pray that God's call on your life becomes just as clear as the call that God played on Ezekiel's life. Because God has a purpose for us to fulfill. And so those of you who are familiar with Bible study, you know that you typically you would start with verse 1, and then you would progressively move forward towards that last verse that you're going to look at. But for today, we're going to start our, our study somewhere in the middle here. And, uh, and we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. Um, and these first three chapters revolve around these words. Now, I'll give some context. Up until now, like chapter 1 is all about this vision that Ezekiel has about God. And chapter 2 is just these short, I believe it's like 10 verses on God calling Ezekiel and letting him know that he's actually going to be speaking to a very rebellious people. He said, Son of man, so talking about uh, chapter 2, verse 3, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people who I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so he he knows that he's going into this crowd of people, these these people that are rebellious, they're obstinate, they they rebel against God, they, they to some extent betrayed the covenant that they had with God for generations and generations. And if you consider what we talked about last week, we're talking about the division of the kingdom of Israel between the ten tribes in the north, two tribes to the south, and, and, and just these generations of kings that, especially in the north, 19 kings that didn't follow God. And in the south, you had like eight good kings and the rest of the other 12 were bad kings. So there's just generation after generation of not faithfully following the Lord until finally God says, okay, Ezekiel, let's go. We're going to deal with this. And so to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 3, he uses this language of eating this scroll. So let's just take a look at the scroll. How many of you have ever seen a scroll like the ones that is referred to in this text? The idea that there's this scroll that contains within it the writings of God, the Word of God. That's what a scroll is. Now, this is a facsimile of a scroll, but you get the point. It rolls, it's bound to itself, um, it's easily managed, it's held onto with a tight grip. And typically, the scrolls are much larger, and you would lay them out, and of course, you would treat them gingerly, and you would read them. But this is the kind of thing that they would read in, in synagogue, and rabbinic t- tradition would tell us that... Um, It was very Jewish practice, or common Jewish practice, to use honey in a special ceremony on the first day of school for children. Now you might wonder, what are you talking about, Rob? Like, why are we talking about this honey? Well, young child was shown a slate that had writing on it, and what it had written on it was the the entire Jewish alphabet. And then in addition to that, there were these two verses that were on there. And so it was Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, and Deuteronomy 33, verse 4. And so you had the alphabet, you had these two passages that were on there, and then there was one other sentence that was written on there as well, and it was, the Torah will be my calling. The Torah will be my calling. So the Word of God will be my calling. 
And so the teacher next reads these words to the children, and the children repeat these words back to them. And then the slate was coated with honey, in which the rabbi would lick very quickly. He would lick that honey off. And there's a reminder of this passage right here, of Ezekiel chapter 3, where it says, I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And after this ceremony, children... Now, it happened in two ways. Either the child had their own slate that they would then lick and, and get the sense that uh, there's a sweetness related to the Word of God, or after the rabbi would do this, they were given these sweet honey cakes um, that they were given to eat with Bible verses from the Torah written within them. What a neat thing. Um, and so it's this idea of there's this wonderful texture to the Word of God, this flavor to the Word of God that is sweet, it's pleasant, it's something to look forward to. That's what God told, that's what God told Ezekiel to eat in his dream. Now, maybe it's not an appetizing thought, but just think about it for a second. What does the scroll represent? Well, it represents God's Word. It, it tells us who God is. It tells us how the world was made. It tells us the relationship between God and man, and man to God, and man to man. And, and so you have all of this instruction from the Lord on, on the best ways to live according to His will. And so the other things that we have along with it are these ways that we can answer questions of life. So you may ask yourself a question about the meaning of life. Well, where do you turn to? Well, you turn to the Word of God. You may ask yourself, well, what is right? What is wrong? Where do you turn? Well, you can turn to the Word of God. And so if you're going to live God's way, then God's Word must be at the center of your life. If you're going to live God's way, God's Word's got to be at the center of your life. And the reason behind that is because you cannot live God's way without knowing what God's way is. And He tells us His way in His Word. And His Word is like honey on our lips. And that was true for Ezekiel, and it's true for you and me. The second thing in all of this is that God tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll, in terms of why he's told to eat the scroll, is because God wanted him to internalize his word so it would essentially become his GPS system. God wanted Ezekiel to live on the insights and knowledge that God's word provides. And so he internalizes this, right? And, and the truth is, is that it's actually the same for you and me. If you're going to live God's way, then you should be feasting on God's word on a daily basis. One of the ministries we have here at Pathway is we have uh, Equipped to Serve. It's from Discipleship International, and they have this wonderful phrase they use, right? And it's like a chapter a day for the rest of your life. Like you would read a chapter a day for the rest of your life. And when you're doing so, there's more likelihood of God being able to speak into your life because you are taking in His words on a daily basis. God's Word provides you with spiritual nutrition. And so rather than just having his word on the, on the shelf, because that's just not going to do it for us, we got to read it, we got to study it, we have to meditate on it because it's spiritual nourishment. I often have a lot of people come into my office and when I ask them how they're doing spiritually, uh, what I find is that they're not spending a lot of time with the Lord. And so because they're not spending a lot of time with the Lord, either in prayer and, and in their scripture reading and learning more about who he is and who they are in relationship to him and how God works and and just some of the wonderful mysteries of who God is, and, and even just the wonderful facts about who God is, and they're not excited about who God is, I find that if they're not in the Word, they have a tendency 
to be more likely to fall away. We're told to ingest God's Word. God urges Ezekiel three times to eat the scroll. Not because paper and ink don't taste good, but he urges him three times because the message written on the scroll is actually a bitter message. In chapter 2, verse 10, we actually read that the scroll is filled with words of lamentation and and, uh, woe and sorrow. It actually says it that way too. It actually says um, in verse 10, which he unrolled before me, talking about the scroll, on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And so Ezekiel is going to have to tell his people some hard things. And this is a really tough part because like, when God gives a message to people to, to express, they're not always the easiest words to share with people. As a matter of fact, even when you consider the gospel, a lot of people have trouble sharing the gospel because the reality is, is that part of the gospel message is that there is some bad news. And so because we tend to not like confrontation, because we tend to not want to make people feel bad, we tend not to actually share the gospel. But the gospel contains some good news because the good news, like, sorry, it contains bad news because the good news makes no sense without the bad news, right? Like the good news is that we're free from sin. Oh, what's sin? Okay, well, let me take you back to the beginning of the story. And we talk about this idea of separation from God. And so, so there is this bad news, but there is this some amazing, incredible, life-giving, saving news that we then get to share. But Ezekiel is going to have to tell his people some pretty hard things. That they've disobeyed God. That they've not been faithful. And that God is bringing discipline upon them. And some people might say punishment upon them. Either way, the the goal of whether you use the word discipline or punishment is to correct Israel and turn their eyes back towards Him. And these are hard words to tell someone. They become a very bitter pill to swallow. Ezekiel is going to have to swallow this message from God and then let his people know that they've done wrong. And that's just not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. People do not like to be told when they've done something wrong. I give you an example of what I mean. Let's say this past week, if you've had a negative thought towards your government in terms of dishonoring a person, not talking about disagreeing with an idea, but dishonoring a person, ridicule, mocking, demeaning, uh, perhaps some violent language, whatever it is, if you've done that towards your government, well, what you need to understand, or a specific person within the government, what you need to understand is that that person is created in the image of God, and as an image bearer, they're worthy of respect, honor, and dignity, and we don't get to treat them like they're not. So much so that Jesus said, like, even if you consider the person your enemy, it's so much so that Jesus actually said, like, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. When we don't do those things, we're wrong. We're just flat out wrong. So, stop it. Not a lot of us are going to feel good about those things. You might say things like, but Rob, you have no idea where they're taking our country and this and this. Sure. True. I can disagree with them all day long as well. But I don't get to ridicule. I don't get to treat them badly. Uh, The Christian message doesn't all give me freedom for that in any way, shape, or form. So this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes there's just hard truths that got to come around to God's people, and Ezekiel is in the space where he's got to swallow this difficult message 
and tell the people that they've done wrong. It's not easy. So in his dream, he eats the scroll, he digests the message, but surprise, surprise, in chapter 3, verse 3, he finds that it's actually sweet. Now back then, you have to understand, they didn't have candy, they didn't have chocolate bars in the way that we do now. And so honey was this version of like that candy. It was sweet. It was wonderful in their experience. More than once in the Bible, we read that once you decide to answer God's call, the load is not actually as heavy as you thought. And so Ezekiel is being told that he's being sent into this group of people, his own people, to deliver this message. He's going to be delivering it to the people that are, are obstinate, they're stubborn, uh, they're not going to appreciate what he has to say. He's told, actually, um, do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live amongst scorpions. And so this is how God's describing these people. That it's actually potentially going to be pretty painful in terms of uh, his interaction with people. And so this isn't going to be simple. This is not something he was necessarily looking forward to. And when he ingests the Word of God, and when he answers the calling, he says, yes. Well, it's not as heavy as you thought. In fact, I truly believe that many of you have a story of when you accepted what God wanted you to do, and it just turned out to be this amazing thing that God did, that He used you in. Maybe you blessed somebody else because of the prompting that God gave you. Whatever that story is, there is something that maybe turned initially was intimidating, but turned into some great joy because you were faithful in what God was telling you to do. And so what we find is that in eating this scroll, that Ezekiel is ingesting the word. He recognizes that he needs to deliver this word. He understands now that this word was actually sweet to him. And so it was a good thing that he was doing, even though it was a difficult thing to be doing. So that's kind of the basis of all of this in terms of his call. Now, in addition to that, we have the commissioning of Ezekiel. So that takes us back to chapter 1. And if you're looking around with it, it, you're looking at chapter 1, verse 28, to chapter 2, verse 7, uh, and, and both before and after Ezekiel eats the scroll, right? So chapter 1, verse 28, all the way to chapter 2, verse 7, and then we skip the section we just focused on, and we go to chapter 3, verses 4 to 11. So before and after Ezekiel eats the scroll, God tells Ezekiel to go and speak to the people. And his assignment was to do exactly that. His assignment was to go and deliver the Word of God to the people. And as a matter of fact, in, in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 7, it says it this way. He says, You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. And so the good news in all of this, for Ezekiel specifically, is that they're not Ezekiel's words. Ezekiel is not the one who has to come up with what to say. It's not based on his wisdom, his intellect, his passions, his frustrations. It has nothing to do with Ezekiel. He is solely to express God's Word to the people. Sound familiar? That our responsibility is not to express our passions. And, and, and Don't get me wrong. I mean, sharing your opinions with people and having conversations is a fine thing. But when we're talking about delivering God's message to people, they're God's words that we use. It's called the gospel. That's what we deliver to people. And those are God's words. 
And so even in that, there's comfort in knowing that God provides for us everything that we need. As a matter of fact, He even says that the Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need because we may not know how to express things. That's pretty comforting. You shall speak my words to them. In other words, Ezekiel will serve as God's mouthpiece. Just as an ambassador to a foreign country speaks the words of the president or prime minister who sent them, the prophet speaks not his own words, but God's words to the people. And I want you to keep in mind something. That a prophet is not specifically a person who tells the future. I mean, sometimes we think of it that way, right? Oh, you're a prophet. You're telling the future. Well, no. That's actually not what a prophet does specifically. Very specifically, a prophet is one who speaks God's word to the people, not his own words, but God's words. And this is where it becomes critically important because all throughout Christian history, and even within Jewish history, there are people who claim to speak on behalf of God. So much so was this an issue that God actually gave a directive to the people of Israel, His chosen people, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. Like all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 to 22. This is how serious proclaiming to speak on behalf of God is. But a prophet who presumes to speak my name, in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, listen, you ready? Is to be put to death. You catch that? Like how serious does God take his message to the world and to his people? Like I'll read that part again. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of any other gods, is to be put to death. And then in verse 21, asks a very basic question that you and I would even ask today. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? So here is the test of the prophet. You ready? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. And that prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. You catch that? So a prophet, a person coming along claims to be a prophet of God. If they make a claim that does not come to pass, claiming that the Lord says it, they are not a prophet of God. And as a matter of fact, they are to be put to death. We get a lot of people who think that they're able to speak on behalf of God. You know, I frequently hear messages from people that say things like, well, the Lord told me this. Okay? Be careful. Be very careful. We may have inclinations of what we think the Lord might be saying to us. But to come to a people and proclaim widely, the Lord told me this for the nation of Canada. The Lord told me this for the church of the Pemina Valley. Whatever it is, I'm a wait and see kind of guy. So let's see if these things come to pass. And if they don't come to pass, you're not a prophet from God. You spoke presumptuously. And according to God, God takes it so seriously that in the days of Deuteronomy, that prophet was to be put to death. In other words, you don't get to speak on behalf of God things that he doesn't actually say. He takes his word incredibly seriously. 
And Ezekiel knows this. So Ezekiel, being called into this prophetic space, this prophetic vocation, like he had to be incredibly sure that God is the one that was sending him. And so Ezekiel is not the only one that God has commissioned. He's also commissioned us to share his love with others. We are to continue the work that Jesus did while he was on earth. And most of us know that, that one of the things we're called into is to continue his work, right? Like Jesus says, that you will do the same things I have been doing. You will do even greater things than these. And this is the idea of we're going to continue his work. Now that sounds like a big responsibility, doesn't it? Well, as you cover, look over chapter 2, if you've been reading along, and I would encourage you to go back and read it if you haven't, you see several times that it wouldn't actually be easy for Ezekiel. And the reason it wouldn't be easy is because the people were rebellious. The people weren't going to listen. They don't care. They don't listen to God. And so because they don't listen to God, they're not going to listen to Ezekiel. And yet, even though they're not going to listen, Ezekiel is sent to them to proclaim the Word of God. So how is Ezekiel going to be able to do this? It's enough to actually just discourage somebody. If you've ever tried to communicate a truth to somebody who just wouldn't listen, it didn't matter what you said, they just dug in their heels into whatever practice, belief, whatever it was that they had, uh, it could just be so incredibly discouraging. But when you look at Chapter 2, verse 2, we see that God actually infuses new life into Ezekiel. Here's what it says in chapter 2, verse 2. As he spoke to me, listen, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. You catch that? The Spirit came into me as he spoke to me, and he raised me to my feet. And so that same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within us, raises us to our, to our feet so that we can go and do the things that God has called us to do. He says, a Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. God gave him the strength that he needed to be able to do the things that God is calling him to do. So this is amazing. So we know what word he was supposed to share, right? Because, because God tells him what he's to be saying. We know that he's got this specific call in his life to go to these people, and he knows that it's going to be tough. But in the midst of all of that, God first shows him a vision of himself. And that vision of himself is quite confusing, to be honest with you, if you try to get a mental picture of it. But in chapter 1, verse 4 to 28, and chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, in these two sections before and after what we've just talked about, Ezekiel describes his vision. And it might seem strange to read about clouds, the wind, creatures, fire, wheels inside wheels, and all going in all kinds of directions. We won't take time to talk about all of the action in the vision, but a couple of things to keep in mind would be this. First, you need to know that in the scriptures, storms, lightning, and wind are often used to refer to God's power and His presence. God's power and His presence. When God called Isaiah, smoke and fire filled the temple. And so with these words about lightning and wind in Ezekiel, we right away get a sense of whatever is happening, God is in it. 
Now, I want you to consider that for a moment, because even the language on Mount Sinai, right? Like, God is hovering over Mount Sinai. His presence is on Mount Sinai, and there's this great, vast storm, this cloud. It's scary. People didn't want to climb the mountain. Like, this was a scary space. But So this language of this storm, that God's always present, God's in it. Most interesting to us, uh, of course, is uh, chapter 1, verse 16. There's this wheel in the middle of a wheel where he describes this thing with wheels. It's interesting because the wheels move in all kinds of directions, in every direction. They have eyes, they move up, they move down, they, they're fast. And, and it's actually a reminder of who God is. He's not only everywhere, but he's moving and he's moving quickly. He's all over the earth. He's making things happen to accomplish his purposes. Not even stubborn people would keep God from doing what He wanted to do. And that's a powerful image. And when we read the verses in this section, we get this idea of this brilliance and magnificence and the glory of God. Like, it's so big that, that we can't even picture it properly. And here's the thing. If Ezekiel was going to be God's mouthpiece, he needed to have an idea on the greatness of God. I think we're the same way. Like if our picture of Jesus is this idea that he's just simply our buddy, well, then we miss it because it's to him, through him, for him that all things have been created. He is the one that's going to return and judge the nations, reign for a thousand years. Like he is the one who is the king of kings, Lord of lords, Lion of Judah, like all of this stuff. And we don't get to reduce him to just buddy Jesus. If we're going to be people who truly proclaim the gospel, we've got to remember and understand that it is the magnificent Jesus, the King of glory, who's able to offer salvation, not buddy Jesus. God isn't small. We can't put Him in a box, and we need to have a vision of His greatness because that vision of His greatness actually brings us to a place of awe and a place of worship. And His power is greater than any one prophet, greater than any nation. And sometimes we get the idea that God is on the side of our nation or our country or our city or churches, our preferences. When He's really over the entire world. And we had better pray that... We better pray not actually that He's on our side, but that we're on His. And I think sometimes we get that backwards, right? We pray that... God will bless the things that we're about instead of us entering into the things that He's about. As a preference, as a, as a starting place, actually. And so we got to remember that we need to be on God's team instead of just solely focus on Him being on our team. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden we see Ezekiel enter the real world, right? So he moves from this vision from God, this dream state that he was in where he eats this scroll where he gets a better understanding on the greatness and magnificence of who God is. And then he wakes up, he's in the real world. And being in the real world, we see where he was when he gets his vision. He's not in a fantasy world when all of this happened. His chariot wheels were on the ground. And so to speak, when he had this encounter with God, Ezekiel 1.1 tells us Ezekiel was among the rest of his people who were now refugees because of the sin because they had been deported from their country by the thousands, there's roughly around 10,000 of them that got deported into 
this village outside of Babylon. And he sat where they sat. He understood what they were going through. He understood their angst, their frustration, their hopes, their dreams. Life wasn't easy. They no longer had their place of worship. All the familiar things were gone. They didn't know if they could trust the people around them. Life was tough. They were experiencing so much that the people struggled and there's this sense of being distraught. Ezekiel probably felt like they did, but there, in that temporary place of worship by the river, he had experienced the hand of God on him. And it was there that he saw this vision. It was there where he was commissioned, and it was there where he ate the scroll. And when it's all finished, we read in chapter 3, verse 15. In chapter 3, verse 15, it actually says to us, I came to the exiles who lived in Tel Aviv near the Kabar River. And there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. I think he must have been overwhelmed by everything he saw around him. Their world was falling apart. Refugees needed help. People needed healing. They needed restoration to God. And man, I just I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been for them. And at the same time, Ezekiel must have been astonished at what just happened. Like, could you imagine? That God had called him to serve in a place where he lived. That, that he may have asked himself, why me? Yeah. Why me? Why have you called me into this time? Into this space? Into this struggle? Into this disappointment? into this disillusionment, into this rebelliousness, into this stiff-necked people, into people who just won't listen. Why have you called me into this? But he had gotten a vision from God that would carry him through. He had gotten from the Lord words that he was to share. God's word that he was to focus on. And deliver. And even though the circumstances around him were discouraging and the people didn't want to listen, we see in chapter 2, verse 2, that we see that God infuses this new life into Ezekiel. And remember, he says, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Ezekiel knew that God had commissioned him for a task and that God would empower him. And, and he had tasted God's Word and that it was going to sustain him. So his Spirit empowered him. The Word was going to sustain him. Man, may we just have that focus as a people as we respond to His call. Because God's got a call on your life. So He has called you. He's commissioned you. You are a royal priesthood. We are His ambassadors here on this earth. We, are, we have the ministry of reconciliation. And so what we do is we deliver the Word of God to people. We make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls us and commissions us to reach our world. This is what it says, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And not only does it tell us to go and, and to baptize and to teach everyone to command everything He is taught, but He's with us to the very end of the age. He's everywhere and He's moving. 
just like he did with Ezekiel. And in the same way that, that he empowers Ezekiel by the Spirit coming into him, and like the Spirit of God coming into him and raising him to his feet, Jesus empowers us. God empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. You really want to know what this verse means? Here it is, that we are empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. All things through Him who strengthens me. And this is all the things that He calls us into. Not all the things that we just simply want to do. It's all the things that He calls us into. We are empowered. We're set on our feet. So we're given this message in terms of being commissioned. We are a commissioned people. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are a commissioned people. We are an empowered people because the Spirit lives in us and we do all things through Him who empowers us. So any insecurities you have about being able to deliver the Word of God into whatever time, space, family group, country, wherever you are, you can do all things through Him who empowers you. It's not by your strength, it's by His. And then lastly, we have His Word that we preach, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so we have a word to preach as well. Commissioned, empowered, given a word. Ezekiel, commissioned, empowered given a word. We are called to spread His word in our world. Let us take that call and be more about the things of God than the things of this world. Do not be distracted by your circumstances. Do not. It would have been very easy for Ezekiel to be distracted by his circumstances. They were in exile. They were unable to worship in the way that they were accustomed to worshiping. The temple was going to be destroyed they didn't even have access to the temple because of where they were in Tel Aviv. And so, whatever discomfort, do not allow it to be a distraction. We are a commissioned people. We are an empowered people. So we're a commissioned people. We don't get to talk about things as if we're not a commissioned people. God raised us up to be His missionaries in the world around us. We are light we are salt. We move. This is what we do. We are an empowered people. God's Spirit lives in us. Let's not pretend that it doesn't. And we have been given a word to deliver. So let us make that messaging our priority over anything else. See, Ezekiel is an interesting character in that sense. Because it's a long time that he's having to deliver some bad news to people before they get to experience and hear the good news. Our scenario is a little different. There's bad news in our story, but there's immediate good news because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Let's be about that. Let's move in that direction and learn more about what that means as we continue to study the book of Ezekiel. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together, and I pray, Lord, that as we continue in reading through the book of Ezekiel, studying through the book of Ezekiel, that you will open our eyes, our hearts, our spirits to whatever it is you have for us. Lord, that we would be a people who remember that we are commissioned, remember that we are empowered, and remember that we are given a word to proclaim in the same way that you did this for Ezekiel, that you commissioned him, you empowered him, you gave him a word to proclaim. 
Lord God, that we would not shrink back from what you have called us into, that we would live a life worthy of the calling. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen. Thank you.